Welcome to Radical AI, a podcast about technology, power, society, and what it means to be human in the age of information. We are your hosts, Dylan and Jess. And in this episode, we interview Moses Namera of Black and AI about the new Black and AI academic program, a program that serves as a resource to support Black junior researchers as they apply to graduate programs, navigate graduate school, and enter the postgraduate job market. Before we share this interview with Moses and talk about some of the amazing work that Black and AI is doing, including this academic program and their mentorship program, we did want to take a few minutes to address the disheartening news that happened in the AI ethics community this past week. So if you've been in AI Twitter or really have been reading the New York Times or the Washington Post this past week, you've probably heard and seen that the co-founder of Black and AI, Timnit Gebru, was wrongfully fired from Google's ethical AI team. And this series of events has huge potential impacts on the tech community at large. And it's clear that how we act now, and we not just being the tech industry, but all of us who are interacting with this news, it's clear that how we act now shapes the future that we're hoping to build within this greater community. And so let's talk about it. Even though the news is still unfolding and there's a lot of new information coming out every single day on Twitter, the New York Times, and many other places, here's our take on the events as they transpired as of Monday, December 7th, 2020, and also why they matter. And keep in mind that the specifics might change after this episode is released, so this is just what we know as of right now. So a little while back, Timnit co-authored a paper with some other colleagues that highlighted and expressed some concerns about the future of AI models, especially natural language models that are going to need really large data sets to run. And some of these concerns included bias with the models and also environmental impact of needing a lot of hardware to run them. So they submitted this paper for internal review at Google, as is the process with most large tech companies that have research teams. And five weeks after the piece had already been internally reviewed and approved for publication within Google through their own standard processes, the Google leadership team actually made the decision to instead tell Timnit that she needed to redact it, which um, everyone is stating is a form of censorship because they did this without warning or cause. So Timnit asked them to explain this decision and to take accountability for it, and especially accountability for their poor stances on discriminatory and harassing work workplace conditions in the first place. So how Timnit did this was she sent an email to the leadership team asking for three things. She first asked for transparency around who was involved in calling for the redaction of the paper. And then she asked if the leadership team could have a series of meetings with the ethical AI team. And she finally asked for a better understanding about what was considered acceptable research at Google so that she could know this for the future. And she told them if they weren't able to meet these demands, then she would work on an end date with Google after she got back from her vacation that she was about to leave on. And just an important point here, when we're talking about redaction, we're really talking about a full retraction of the paper 
uh, from any sort of publication. So not individual word censorship, but saying that the paper cannot be published based on internal review. And Timnit, at least at the beginning, was not given any cause whatsoever for why that retraction was requested. And this was after she had already submitted it to the conference at this point for the conference's own review processes. So uh, additionally, with this, uh, along with this email to the leadership team, Timmy also sent an email internally to what was called the, or what is called the Brain and Women's Ally Listserv, which is a space at Google to foster an inclusive work environment for women in the Google Brain organization. So in this email to that listserv, Timmy shared her experiences of discrimination and her frustration regarding the inaction of the Google leadership team and the organization around diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. So in this email, she also shared her experience regarding some of the processes of submitting and gaining approval and then being forced to retract this paper. And of course, this email found its way to the leadership team. So they then reached out to Timney and they told her first that they weren't going to meet her demands or I guess her requests from the earlier email. And because of the email that they saw that she sent to the Brain and Women Allies listserv, they thought that she hadn't acted like a model Google manager. And so instead of working with her about her requests or working with her on a possible end date, they told her that they were actually going to, quote, accept her resignation immediately, which basically means that they used legalese to fire her and then tried to make it sound like she had been the one to make that choice. So after this, her corp account was cut off. She no longer had access to any of the emails that she sent, and even her immediate manager was not informed of the decision made by the leadership team. And so in light of all of this news and the news that's continuing to come out, we wanted to share that we stand with the AI ethics community in believing that Timnit was wrongfully fired from her job at Google. And we think that these acts are symbolic of a much larger problem with racism and discrimination in the tech workplace. So obviously, uh, you know, we've had Tim Neat on the show before, so we're not unbiased in this. Um, And we understand that Google and especially Google management, uh, they do have their own side to this. And uh, you're welcome to go follow, you know, Jeff Dean on Twitter or or whatever to see this this other side. Um, We are, after hearing all the sides, we're uh, still pretty strongly in uh, Tim Neat's corner here. And uh, even without the particulars, right? The particulars are like depressing, disheartening, uh, heartbreaking to a certain degree, uh, even like in a vacuum, right? Like strategically, it doesn't make sense for Google to have done this. Uh, It doesn't like, it's obviously unethical, the process that they went through here. But what has really struck us as we've been reflecting on this has been that symbolic element to it. The fact that this is not an isolated incident, that this is happening after Google has time and time again paraded around Team Need as the black woman who's at the top of their AI ethics work and they're working towards diversity and they're working towards inclusion. And then this is what they do behind the scenes, right? And this is not something that has happened to just one black woman at one massive tech company right now, based on what we've heard, right? And radically eyes as we've done these interviews is that this is something that has happened time and time again. And if this is what's happening to the top, to what the company even says is their top AI ethics researcher who is a black woman, you know, you can just imagine all the different stories of black women who are just getting into the industry of ways that they've been silenced or 
fired or in this case quote unquote you know asked for their resignation uh within all of this legalese and uh, this is a systemic issue here and, and i think that's for us um and just you know correct me if i'm wrong but i think that's why this is such an important issue for us to talk about and speak up about because this is this is not just a flash in the pan this is the pan right this is not a bug this is the feature of the system and in terms of this being symbolic of a, a much larger issue in not only the tech industry, but honestly, the workplace at large in the world, and has been for a very, very long time, there's just some major problems with the way that diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts are conducted at some of these large companies. And something that I've seen circling around a lot in um, the Twitter community, I guess, since this incident was that a lot of people are hired in these companies for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and then they're paraded around like these token trophies, and they're told that they're doing amazing things at these companies, and they're in all the photos, and they're in all of the panels, and of course they're asked to do a ton of service work to try to raise diversity inclusion efforts at these companies, which is a whole other problem. But then the second that they actually do the thing that they were hired to do, which in this case for Timney was to point out problems with bias and ethics and concerns with machine learning and AI algorithms, the second that they do what they were hired to do, then if it's not in compliance with the company's overall PR mission, they're immediately hushed and, uh, I guess, in, in the worst place, even fired and hugely discriminated against. So it's, it's definitely speaking to a, a much larger issue that's happening in general in the tech field, but then just in the workplace. Yeah, and this is a systemic issue. This is an economic issue. But, you know, this is like, this gets to the heart of why it's so impossible for people to make change because in these massive systems, and, you know, I don't know, you know, Jeff or any of the other managers to be able to say, you know, these are bad people or people acting in bad faith, right? But even if we say that these are good people acting in good faith, right? The way that this has happened shows a blatant disrespect to Timnit and to her team, right, at Google, who are doing the jobs that Google has ostensibly hired them to do, which means that for all that Google is talking about, you know, these checklists of ethics or all they're talking about with these visions of diversity inclusion, when the rubber meets the road and they have people who are working, you know, 90 hour weeks to make this happen, they don't actually want it, right? So it's one thing to be able to speak the jargon. It's another thing to actually be able to give resources, which to their credit, they were doing. But then through this, I mean, all of that goodwill that they've built up through this team that, you know, Timnit has had to build over so many years and jump through so many hoops in order to have the amazing team that she does have or did have, like the fact that this is the way that part of that ends, or at least her journey at Google after all of that work ends is just, for me, it's just blatantly disrespectful at best, right? And discriminatory at worst. Of course, all of this is to say that things right now are looking a little bit bleak. And we at Radical AI, and also just as a part of the AI ethics community, are hoping to help support efforts that are looking to make things better, which is actually why we thought this week the episode and the interview with Moses would be the perfect beacon of light or maybe silver lining with what's happening to let everyone know that there are really great opportunities for people who are feeling 
a little bit down and hopeless right now. And we completely understand everyone who's feeling that way. And we're here to support you and to stand in solidarity with you. But for those who are looking to maybe be a little bit uplifted and looking for opportunities that are really, we think, making amazing efforts to help with diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in a real sense, not just in a PR sense, then we are just so thrilled to talk about some of the amazing programs that Black and AI as an organization has implemented to really help with some of these awful issues of racism and discrimination in the tech and in the AI field as a whole. And one final note before we jump into the interview, we just wanted to thank everyone in this community for being incredibly supportive and for speaking out. And if you are looking to get involved or to help support Tim Neat through what is happening, we have provided some resources, including a uh, an open letter that you can sign in the show notes. So we encourage you to go look at those uh, after you have finished listening to our interview with Moses Namera of Black in AI. And Moses Namera is a Facebook research fellow and PhD candidate in human-centered computing at Clemson University. He uses interdisciplinary research methods from computer science, psychology, and the social sciences to understand the principles behind users' adoption and use of technology, decision-making, and privacy attitudes and behaviors. His research interests are in the field of usable privacy and security and human-computer interaction. We hope you enjoy this interview. We are here on the line today with Moses. Moses, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, we're here to talk specifically about the Black and AI academic program. And for people who haven't heard about it at all, can you just give us the 101 about what it is? Yeah, the Black and AI academic program is a part of the Black and AI group that focuses on the academic aspects uh, of of, of black students, uh, especially within the field of AI, but it also extends to computer science and STEM in general, uh, for those who are interested. Um, we start from uh, offering what we call the Graduate Application Mentorship Program. Uh, this is a program that basically uh, guides prospective graduate students through the application process. Um, the key thing here being that we basically link them with mentors, who are in this case either PhD students or faculty members who can then give them one-on-one -on -one advice in terms of how to go about the application uh, and demystify the whole process. Uh, further along that line is we have a, a new program in the pipeline which then focuses on once they become students uh, up to the post-grad post level, uh, ma making sure that there's a community that supports them through that process. Uh, there are people that they can uh, interact with and seek advice and also demystify the faculty application process, uh, which becomes the next step after that. Uh, not only faculty, but also industry uh, at some point. So can you unpack a little bit of the inner workings of this academic program? And for students who are interested in being a part of it, what can they expect to get out of it? And how can they hope to apply or join it? So I'll start with the inner workings of the program. So what we basically do for each academic year, right now we are in the 2020 to 2021 application process. Uh, we have cohorts for each of, of, of those years. 
what we do is we 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 send out interest uh, solicitations to our members. So people have to be a part of the group. Uh, they join separately. That is an, that is a separate process, uh, joining the Black in AI group. Um, and so what we do is then we send out to uh, we send out email. I mean uh, solicitations for people who are interested uh, in the process. Around typically we try to do it around uh, August September uh, around there. Uh, we're, try, we're still trying to get our timing right. Um, and then once they show interest, we what we then do is have them uh, send in their resumes, send in uh, their interest, like the fields they want to study. Uh, we also have them take us through how prepared they are. Have they done the GRE? Uh, do they already know some schools they read? They re they've already checked out. Uh, which countries uh, are they thinking about applying to? Just to basically get a general sense of their interests, uh, their academic background uh, or research background. And once we get that in, we then at the same time reach out to mentors, right? So mentors are PhD students or faculty who are interested in being matched up with these students. Um, we basically also do the same, uh, you know, the school that you are in, uh, the the topic or the field that you 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 you're studying or that you're teaching, um, and and if you have the time uh, and and the capacity to actually take on uh, uh students uh, for mentorship, around average around two two to three students on average, um, and then when those when we get those in, we basically then kind of do the matching. Uh, right now, we do it. It's a human who does it. It's us who, it's a team who sit down and, and go through these applications and try to see uh, who would be the best mentor. Uh, once that is done, uh, we then send out uh, emails notifying the students that, hey, this is your mentor, you should reach in touch. We, we do the same for the mentor side. Now, above and beyond that, we have what they call information sessions, uh, which is basically now an uh, an open call for people who 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 can join join in join in in the in the information session. So it's basically uh, a session where anybody can join in, uh, but most especially those students who are interested in, in in applying for grad school, and kind of come together within a general information session and get uh, uh, and get acquainted with the process from. Uh, we usually select speakers, so faculty members who have uh, who are who actually review these applications, uh, or PhD students who have recently gone through the process, um, and 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 so they share information through that information session uh, along. So the the information sessions are arranged depending on the stages which students are at. So initially, it's you know how do I write. Uh, how do I write a personal statement, or how do I identify which school, or you know, you know those types of questions. But as long as, and then the next information session would look at uh, making sure you're meeting the deadlines and stuff like that. Could you tell us a little bit about how and and why this initiative started? Uh, the reason it started is me and Radiate. Uh, we I, I got to know Radiate. We we won a Facebook Emerging Scholar uh, Award, and that kind of you know brought us as acquaintances. But it's it's it stemmed from this theory that the pipeline is broken, whereby there are few black students who end up 
coming into grad school and as a result you know there is nobody to um uh there's nobody to hire because you know the pipeline is broken um and so another thing that also motivated us is that for example last year we only had about 20 black students across the US graduate with PhDs that is a very minuscule number uh compared to uh other people um and so uh we we then me and her came and sat together based on our own experiences of thinking okay how did we end up in the in in the grad school system and what was difficult uh joining that and what we found is that when we shared similar experiences whereby when we were planning to actually join uh grad school we had we had people who are who had either done grad school who kind of touched the path or held our hand along the way um we, we didn't do it just myst- mystically you know it wasn't just a uh, a uh, 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 <clears throat> a one day thing that popped out of nowhere it was actually seeing someone who has done it or who has gone through the process and giving you that motivation to actually uh, take you through the process making sure that you uh, you, you you know you you know how to write a personal statement or a research statement whatever the case is uh and and so we then decided to come together and make it kind of try to scale that uh, and make it a formal program in which people like us could uh, uh go through that process and you mentioned that you and Reddy both explained that or you you talked about how the pipeline is broken i'm curious if you can maybe explore that a little bit and explain in what ways is it broken and in what ways did you experience that brokenness um you know it's it's when people say that the pipeline is broken what it basically means is that there aren't enough black people to hire or who have the essential skills to be hired for a role or a job um and therefore even if we wanted to hire people we actually don't have anybody to hire right um and 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 so then what that what that what that brought us to to thinking is that okay how do we demystify this uh or address the issue of the pipeline being broken how do we increase opportunities for others uh and and, and bring them into uh uh into the ai field especially uh as as, as a new field that is emerging uh with uh, societal repercussions if we don't uh, think about uh, other groups who may not necessarily be devo- be involved in the development process uh, of these uh, systems right um and so one way what we found is that most people usually have graduate degrees uh and yet there are few black people who actually end up applying for grad school uh even if they have done uh, undergrad right and so the reason became to uh came then how do we address that issue uh or how do we increase that higher uh uh, uh higher turnout of, of students finally in, you know applying and getting into grad school and you mentioned your own story uh also kind of compelled you to do this work would you mind sharing some of that story and why this work is so important to you yeah the 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 work is important to me because uh one is to increase opportunity for others who look like me and not be the only one doing x um or not being uh, the first one who does x um and, and and so it's that desire to kind of reflect uh 
and pass on uh, what they like pass on the baton um uh, you know uh so that was that, that's one uh, motivation but the other is also to i remember when i was trying to apply for grad school and i went to a, a graduate director and i faced the questions that i was asked were discouraging it wasn't it wasn't from a position of encouraging me to actually uh go make you know saying you know you 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 made out for this role and and maybe if you actually do apply you can make it to the process it was from the perspective that i had succeeded by by me reaching graduate there we were surpassing the undergraduate level i had superseded uh what most black people could have done and so i should be satisfied with that achievement and and therefore uh that was enough uh in terms of my own aspirations and so i could go off and do other things um and so it, so it got me thinking that maybe that's not it's not only me who faces these kinds of uh, uh roadblocks along the way um and so it was also hard getting the right information in terms of should i do a master should i do a phd should i stay in the same undergraduate institution should i change to another uh, maybe uh, academic institution what are the advantages and, and, and disadvantages it was, there was an unorganized uh, uh, avenue through which i could get some of these questions uh, answered and so it felt like a lonely process a lonely proce- process that i felt like if uh if 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 it was if 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 it was a group of us and we're going through it would have been you know much better so so that's that's one the other is also just the financial hurdles in terms of issues such as GRE the GRE is expensive um and 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 most schools require GRE uh and so most people end up spending a lot of money trying to repeat do it over and over again just to make sure they have the right grades um and all others end up being discouraged just because they don't have the financial capability to do that so trying to you, you, if you want to address some some of these systematic uh hurdles you you better doing it as a group than an individual and so that's why we come together organized under the black in ai academic program to try and one uh, uh shed more light on some of these barriers Uh, but also find or advocate for change in how in terms of how uh these academic uh admissions are done and you mentioned the mentorship program multiple times now which is related to but different than the academic program and i'm curious moses in your experience in this post grad world Do you have a specific story or memory of a time when you either were mentored by someone or you mentored someone yourself where it made a lasting impression on you? Yeah, uh, I'll start with me having been mentored. Um so when I was at undergrad I I I, I don't know what pushed me but um uh I joined uh the research. It was a research lab. Uh, and um, I went to the University of Maryland, uh, and there was a professor called Dr. Michelle Mizuth. And so, I think I got to know that I was going to take her class in the next semester. And then when I checked her out on the website, it said, "Hey, I'm looking for students. You know, if you're interested in research opportunities." I I never knew what research was, so I decided to go to her and and you know say, "Hey, you know, it looks like you're calling. You're looking for students. I would be happy to you know uh, work on some research and figure out what that is." And so. For me that's kind of what opened my uh <clears throat> my eyes to 
grad school because after that it's like okay what next what comes after this how can like i've enjoyed doing this formal research how do i continue uh if i wanted to kind of uh, become an expert at it and so you know she acted as my mentor as someone who could uh, who could guide me but also you know having supportive parents who knew what uh, uh you know having gone to school and done grad school themselves you know just having them as, as people who say you can do it you actually have the the capability to do it so for me that's my unique uh situation um in terms of uh, mentoring others of course uh i'm now a fourth year student uh phd student about at the beginning of the end but through the process once i joined i've had people reach out multiple times to me just to have one-on-one chats to tell them how 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 that's my experience my grad my grad school experience uh i have referenced referenced them to to people who who are better fits if i find we you know i can't maybe answer some of their questions i uh, just to have those connections of people you can connect them to or even having uh telling them about your own experience and and, and if there are opportunities where you are uh for me that's that's one way i've i've mentored others to to join grad school could you talk to us a little bit about your own research? Like what what are you what are you, what are you working on right now? <laughs> that's a good that's a good question. I I work on uh uh online privacy uh issues to deal with online privacy specifically looking at uh uh how do we make the privacy decision making process uh better or easier for 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 people. um but also as technology increasingly becomes more prevalent and uh, most of the technologies that people get to adopt are really huge calls for personal user data how how do privacy concerns then factor in in, in terms of what people decide is appropriate to use and not to use uh, so i look at technology adoption and how uh, privacy affects that um and and basically with with the goal of uh one understanding understanding the the motivation uh, behind but also addressing uh, finding solutions to how you improve that process and and ensure that people's privacy is protected so going back to your story a little bit then what got you interested in going into this field and in HCI in general yeah so so yeah it was it was from that re- research experience that i had at undergraduate to be honest because that's, that's the type of work she was doing and the professor was doing and the lab was doing and to me it's it seemed cool at the time um and and and, and as with anything else you at that point in time what I was trying I I didn't know what I wanted to be or I wanted to focus on and so I was it was basically a try and error trying to find your own interests what do you enjoy uh or, or what do i find satisfying enough to wake up in the morning and continuously be able to enjoy doing it and so through doing through that experience it kind of landed me in this area that i'm i'm currently doing a few months ago when we uh, interviewed one of the founders of black and ai dr timnit gebru um she talked a lot about international perspectives in uh, both in terms of privacy but also just in general um and how you know when she went to nurups for the first time uh you know she was one of maybe like 18 uh, black scholars there um and and how that community's grown uh, and i'm curious from your perspective in this international space maybe specifically about the uh, the academic 
program. Have you seen folks uh, from across the world become part of the academic programs and the mentorship programs in addition to the U.S.? Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, the highest majority of our applicants are from uh, international uh, applicants. Uh, majority from Africa. Uh, 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 and so, so what we then realized is, okay, I think we should strike a balance between people who are for, from here originally and also people from uh, uh, from from the international uh, uh, partner uh, international countries. So. We yes, we we have seen a huge. We have a huge, a high number of applicants internationally, and and they're not only applying to come to the U.S. but to go to Europe, to go to universities within Africa, universities in Asia. Um, of course, the high number being you know Europe and Canada, but we we see that uh, we we see interest from and 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 especially within these countries especially from africa we see a lot of students who have found this program useful because ideally then they wouldn't uh they wouldn't get to talk to people who are actually end up making some of these decisions um i just uh, doing that mentorship one on one matching uh having someone talk to you about your how to structure your research statement or which programs uh, are a good fit for you just that information alone is usually enlightening uh, but it's also equally beneficial for the mentors to learn how to mentor people who are not like them uh learn the academic systems of other countries uh so that you can make a good informed decision in terms of if you get an applicant from uh maybe nigeria and you, you're not familiar with how the university system works over there through this program you know having interacted with people from there before you kind of already have an idea or you start to develop an idea or good sense uh, of, of of applicants in that area so it's a i i, I feel like it's a win-win for all of us uh, and and with the recent uh movements that have happened over the summer we've seen a lot of universities now take it up take it up university departments take it up upon themselves to actually have these kinds of program programs where they uh, uh try to you know mentor people or mentor potential prospective applicants yeah i'm just still struck by that number that you you gave towards the beginning of this interview where last year there were 20 PhD black phd students who who graduated um and that just, I mean, to me, just like there's something deeply sick about that system where, where that's the case, where the number and the ratio is just like so off. And for folks besides, I guess, outside of this mentorship program and this, uh, the academic program at Black and AI, like what do we, what can we do about that? What do we do um, as like almost systemically to address some of those issues? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was 20, it's 20, uh, we, we counted them 20 for black students and all and then more surprising is all over the US you have eighty five black faculty in CS or computer engineering departments. Um so so how do we do that? Uh, first of all that already shows you that that's something that needs to be addressed. Um one is to be intentional about it. Uh well, I think historically we've been uh you know let the chips fall where they, they, they fall, you know whoever is the best student will finally end up uh, finding their way. But what we forget is that uh, people like us face different, uh, have different barriers as compared to people who might be different. And so 
if you as a faculty member you are in uh, you are a director of a lab at a university an r1 university for example and within since you started your 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 faculty journey you've never had anybody who's different from you or you've never mentored someone or you never supervised someone who's different from you this is your opportunity to actually be intentional about it and say hey i'm looking for the best black student from x uh, uh, uh how 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 can i find that student black in ai if you if you if you, if you reach out to us we're happy to make those connections because we really have a, a, a very good students with, with good good experience good research experience and and, and and just people who are looking for the opportunity to apply their skills so one i think is intentionality being intentional about it and knowing it's not going to happen by chance uh, um, if you if you're interested in, in in that kind of stuff then you have to look out two is to create opportunities where they're not so even if you don't have a position on your lab in your lab uh, how can you make that connection? So if I reached out to you, would you be able to connect me to someone who might be able to help me? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, being able to, to you, you know, you may not necessarily be in a position to help, but you might be in the position to actually make a connection uh, that might be turn out to be uh, fruitful later. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think those are the quick some of the quick things that come to mind in terms of how people can can actually help. Do you think that this is a solution space that exists mostly in higher education and within academia in universities? Or do you think that this is something where there might also be some solutions in, uh, I, I guess, like K through 12 education and just outside of the academic bubble in general? I don't think it exists outside of the academic bubble. I think it's, it's uh, because all of us, one it's not only at the higher level it's it has to begin down to the k uh the kindergarten level uh k through 12 level uh because uh that's a you know that's a whole pipeline as as people like to put it um one thing that i like to think about is you you start if you if you if you want to if you want to to help it has to start at at that level when someone is young you can only help someone when they're still in, in, in a position to be helped right um and usually the most impactful years are actually those k through 12 years because that's when people uh we are absorbing information we are growing we are still looking out for uh, for uh, opportunities um and and so making sure that barriers along the way are kind of addressed and and, and people have the flexibility uh, to actually uh, successfully maneuver through those processes because you cannot get to graduate level without doing undergrad right you cannot get to undergrad without doing high school or you cannot do high school without middle school and so on and so on and so it has to start at that level to to for for for, for it to eventually uh, come out at the top yeah so for an example at that level i think things like after school programs are really critical because you know parents uh are working two three jobs uh, they may not necessarily be there to supervise people's uh, the, the children's homeworks and, and stuff like that so those after school programs uh would be really then be important in terms of uh trying to keep children out of trouble but also kind of at the same time uh 
supplementing them with additional skills that they can use to uh, improve on their skill. So it's a it's a, it's a it's something that really has to start from uh, from a, a young stage, really. Sometimes in and at least activist spaces that I've been in, um, there's kind of like two ways. Sometimes two ways to think about changing a system. One, you either work within it, or two, you get rid of it and try to start over. Um, and it definitely seems like in this space, there's much more of a, we're, we have a system, it's broken, we're going to try to change it and acknowledge that it's broken, but do the work to change it, and not so much that we need to throw the entire thing out. And I'm wondering if you just have thoughts about that uh, dichotomy. Uh, that's a hard one. Uh, 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 yeah, it's, I mean, this is a system that has been there for a long time, so uh, it, it, it will be to be very difficult to to just throw the whole of it out and start afresh. Um, but what we can do, as you've listed, is uh, try to now recognize what are the the what are the implicit biases that exist and what are the uh, implicit uh, barriers uh, that that you know and unintentionally or intentionally have put in place that we we can do away without and and try to increase opportunity for people. An example is the GRE. Is the GRE really important? That's something still debatable. Uh, does it dictate how someone who is going to be a successful or unsuccessful candidate, graduate candidate? That's still debatable. Uh, but when you look at it, it is, it is something that actually stops a majority of students from applying. That is, our research has shown that most people, once they you know, look through the website and see what are the requirements. Okay, you need a transcript, you need a GRE, you need a personal statement. Okay, what's a GRE? Oh, it's, you know, some test that you must, standardized test that you must take for you to be able then to be, uh, you know, one of the requirements, fulfill one of the requirements. Oh, how much is it? Oh, $200 per test. Where am I going to get $200? I'm a break student, right? Uh, my, uh, at home, I, I don't have anybody within my uh, community or my support system that can be able to give me that money. So there and then someone's ambitions stop just because they couldn't afford the uh, 200 bucks. Um, so some schools do waivers, some don't. Um, uh, and so we, we then have to ask ourselves, is this something that we want to continuously uh, do with or do away with? And, and so that's how you change the system, I think, uh, uh, within, with, from, from the inside and just removing some of those barriers uh, or extra uh, hoops that were put in place to keep people out. So I'm wondering if you can provide some advice here for both sides of the spectrum. So on the one side, I'm wondering if you have advice for students um, at any level of education who are looking for mentorship in this space, um, outside of, of course, the programs that we outlined from Black and AI today. And then on the other side, I'm wondering if you have advice for people who have the capacity to mentor and what you would tell them. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start with, uh, with the students, I think. Um, one is that it's, it's challenging. It's gonna be, uh, it's a challenging, process or journey if you want to call it that uh, academics academics are boring um I, I, I someone 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 famously told me uh, and that's why if they were easy everyone would be doing them right uh, everyone would be doing academics so uh 
it's a it's a tough journey and you have to persevere um and so the question becomes how do you persevere one is through you know the, you know seeking seeking out people who have done it and learning from the experience uh to give you that moral boost that you can actually make it um uh, for those who have stuck through the process you know they have finally made it and, and that should be give you the courage that you will also make it uh for those that have failed and and, and have given up you know they haven't been uh, as as especially in terms of the academic uh, uh, uh <clears throat> in terms of the academic uh journey they haven't been as successful right and so you wanna you you want to be you want to be that person who seeks for hope uh, when you know you need it uh and, and not be afraid to don't be there's there's a lot of what i find imposter syndrome especially within the stem field the fear of being blown out of the water as a fraud or the fear of being seen as someone who's uh, who, who doesn't know who's not an expert um i think we have to get over that imposter syndrome and know that each and each each one and every one of us has to start from somewhere and the way you do it is you know one is by reaching out to people who know more more than you do um and two is just to also work on your own uh <clears throat> work on your own you know perseverance if you need to uh for for the mentorship side is be conjugant of the backgrounds of the people you're mentoring uh first of all be interested in mentoring don't just do it because it's fashionable um if you're doing it because it's the fashionable thing please don't because you'll make it worse for the mentee um and so uh, uh second is to be interested and and try to uh empathize with the person you're mentoring uh they may not be as professional as you'd want them to be they may not be uh as 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 eloquent as as you you're used to um try to see how you can help the, you know to your to the best of your abilities and one is to first of all know their background know where they're coming from uh what do they like what do they like what's more what challenges are they facing do they have a do they have an international inter, uh, stable internet connection which would make video calls possible or not uh uh you know understand their situation you know sometimes they can do video calls sometimes they can't maybe a text will suffice or an email will suffice like what is the best uh communication strategy that you can have with, with them and then how do you offer feedback or how do you actually mentor um some people uh you may not need they may not need a uh, a lot of heavy lifting some people might do and if you have the capacity to uh do the heavy lifting and you do it if you don't it, it, you know don't feel ashamed to say that i can't do it you know there's no harm in saying hey at any other time i would have hoped you but i'm you know right now i'm swamped and, and i can't be able to take on another student or another mentee uh, i have a, a lot of things that i'm dealing with uh but you know there's someone x there's just that i know maybe we, should, we can talk to her and see if she has the uh capacity to take you on uh, something like that and then i'm thinking of um folks who write into our show and say hey we're white we are like we as as the listener we're white we're well intentioned we want to do something in this space uh we don't really know what our place is in this for those folks who make up the majority and have a level of privilege in these academic spaces 
Uh, do you have any particular pieces of advice maybe to for them to be able to make room? Yeah. Um, um, one is to understand how what, understand that you're privileged, right? Uh, not everybody has the opportunities that you have. <clears throat> um, and so recognizing that, I think, is first of all the most, usually the most important thing to understand. And so, so then once you recognize or you know you're coming from a position of privilege, how do you uh, come off, you know, in terms of your, your seeking out for, for, if you're seeking out, if you're reaching out for, to, to help people, uh, you want to do it in a way that you don't belittle them, I would say. Um, um, you know, you want to do it from a good place. Um, and, 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 and people are always receptive to that. Uh, if you come in as someone who's imposing, saying, hey, uh, I, I, you know, I think you should do X and Y because, uh, you know, that's the way it has always been done and, and you don't know and I know more than you, then, you know, people are not going to take it in a good way. Uh, people, uh, uh, I, I think for me, what in my own experience, what I've seen from people who are privileged is the language that they use. Uh, to them, it is, it is, it is, they, they can, they can speak because maybe they're, they're speaking from their own experience, but then based on, then when they speak, uh, because, because for you, you, you also have your own experience. Some of the, the, the speech may not really align or may not come off in terms of the way they intended or something like that. Um, so I think one is just to, you know, be, cautious in terms of how you communicate or how you reach out to people um and how you want to help them once you 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 you've actually um are you going to be able to stand up for them once you bring them on board uh, are you willing to help address some of the challenges or, or clear some of the challenges that they face when you once you bring them on board or are you just going to bring them on board and then leave them to figure out their own way maybe that may not as a fist, depending on the situation, but uh, you know, just do it from a good place. I think is my 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 simple and, and crisp answer to that. Just do it if you, <laughs> if you want to help, help from a good place. Uh, don't help from a, a point of despise or despair. And Moses, as we reach the closing of this interview, for those listeners who are looking to get involved in Black and AI and in the academic program, what are the specific next steps that they should be taking right now? Yeah. Um, so for the Black and AI, if you go to Facebook, uh, Black and AI, we have a page of a group on there. Uh, you can join the group. Uh, from there, you should, should, you should be able to go to our website where you can formally uh it's a membership uh google form that you fill in and, and once you're approved you join you join the group uh where we are then able to share resources uh, uh various resources and it's within that group that we we send out you know depending on on, on the year we usually send out in october september we send out people we send out emails for people who are interested in in, in applying to grad school um it is a group that uh so so right now we have about 2500 members um and, and this group is both allies and members you don't have to be black to join it uh you can be an ally 
Uh, we so far have about 18,000, uh, I mean, 1,850 black members. Um, and, and so, so it's a growing group uh, that is, is growing and, and within it, we're able to form community, we're able to form a support uh, resource, we're able to do other things like uh, uh, collaborate with each other and, 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 and also support people who want to go to conferences like New Rips and the like. Awesome. And also for those who are maybe looking to get in contact with you specifically or take a look at your research a little bit more in depth, where's the best place for them to go? Um, I have a website. Uh, if you uh, if you type in, in Google my name, it should be the first one that pops up. Uh, but I'm on Twitter uh, as N-A-M-Z-O, N-A-M-Z-O-098, Namzo098. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, on my name is Moses Namara. Um, my email is uh, mosesn at pemson.edu. I'm always happy to uh, <coughs> to respond to, to emails uh, that are, are seeking for guidance. Right, and we'll make sure to link those in the show notes as well. Moses, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you for having me, Jason Bula. A huge thank you to Moses for joining us today and for all of the work that he and Black and AI are doing to support junior scholars and junior researchers. For our outro today, we really just want to highlight how awesome this program is that they have. And so if you are in the Black and AI community, and especially if you're a junior researcher or a junior scholar or just looking for some mentorship, please reach out to Moses or follow the links that we put in the show notes. For more information on today's show, please visit the episode page at radicalai.org. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Catch our new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Join our conversation on Twitter at radicalaipod. And as always, stay radical. <laughs>